Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 2 The Battle of Moitura. Episode 3 Tech Loha. The Coming of Lou. The Coming of Lou. The doorkeeper speaks. Who is this young warrior who came late to the gate of Tara after the feasting was begun? Who is this fine and shining youth who stands before me? Covel McRiagle, gatekeeper of the tour day. Oh, he was pleasant to look upon, his cloak threaded with gold. He was tall and bright as a golden spear, but proud. He stood before me, confident in his waiting, but I am the gatekeeper of Tara, and no less noble than he. I had no cause to admit one so tardy. But I am Cavill McGregor, and I will bend my rules, if I am minded to do so. And the young warrior did please me, despite his gilded arrogance. The game of wits began, the boy boasting his skills with bold assurance. Have you need, he asked, of the best of shipwrights, the most cunning of smiths, the champion of warriors, or the most glorious of harpers? <laughs> I answered him lightly, for it seemed certain that this youngling could not outstrip the seasoned craftmasters within. The game continued, and he, undaunted, warrior, poet, sorcerer, brazier, physician, cupbearer, he could, he crowed, outshine them all. But I returned each challenge with the exalted names now within the feasting hall. Then came the curved spear's throw that won him the game. Have you one amongst you who is master of all these skills, he demanded, his eyes opening sunrise bright. No, young cub, I replied, smiling, and for your wit and grace. And your morning beauty, you may enter. For you, I will bend my rule. And the young man passed into the hall, and somehow the day was darker outside. Who is this young man who has taken to himself the name of Ildalek, the many-crafted one? Muadha speaks. This boy without blemish. This youth with a king's confidence. What does he want? For he entered Tara like a spear shaft of sunlight on a mist-wreathed morning, and he made good his boasts, banished our champions in strength and in art. Oh, another golden youth to lead us. Another born in glittering secret dalliance. Another of joined bloodline. Another chosen one. And had breasts the beautiful, the chosen, led us so well. No, we had groaned under tribute to our foreign foe, and would again if battle did not come quickly. And now, this newcomer, this outsider, offers us a fresh glory. Well, he shall have his thirteen days rule, this Ildonic. And may this glorious child lead us in wisdom, to victory. The Dagda speaks. This bright boy, tricky as a sunbeam, this bright boy born to kill his grandfather, this 
bright boy who has risen the sun flash of wave on water. This bright boy who has won as treasure through cruelty. This bright boy who has been hidden to our eyes for so long, what is he to us? What is he to this land? Can he shape the mountains or, or smooth the pastures? Can he mate with the song of the waters? Can he call stories to cry from every stone? Yet we shall guard him for his boldness, keep safe his beauty, secure his renown, for he will fulfill his destiny and ours, victory and a new world. Balor speaks. Where did he come from, this lithe lynx of a boy? How did he come upon me, blinding me like sudden sunlight in shadow? This upstart child who threatens me with prophecy, who threatens my place in this land. Oh, I believed I was rid of him, believed him drowned. And I will be rid of him, and it is my eye that will remain to gaze upon this land, or else leave it in poisoned ruin. Come, my captains, make fast the island to your ships, and we will tow it northwards towards the burning isles of ice and gloom, and there it shall be ours. And yet this morning, it seemed to me that the sun rose in the west, so bright was the shining of this sleek boy, this warrior, this singer of sunlight, this golden loo, my grandson, my death. Well, we've reached the point where a new character enters the story, and this is one, we've heard a lot of rumours about him, but we've not yet encountered him. Um, this is Lou, or... Lug, in Old Irish. It's Sorry. Lou, it's, it's Lou in Modern Irish, which is how probably a lot of listeners will be familiar with and the And what name. I'm more used to. Yeah, but again, um, I've, I've become used to calling him Lug, and partly because it distinguishes him from the Welsh Clow, who... It, it can all get a little bit confusing, so... I'm just tend to be more used to Lou. So yeah. excuse us if you hear Lug and Lou, it's the same character. Exactly. But whatever, he's Lou the Shiny, Lou the Magnificent, Lou the Master of Everything and Light of the World. Well, that's what it feels like sometimes. It does, rather. So this week we're looking at... Uh, well, what we have in terms of this, the text, uh, the edition from Grey that hopefully you've had a look at online or in your own Irish Tech Society copy... About sections 52 to somewhere up to 75, Around more there. or less, more it's or less. There's a few sections that we're yes. saving for later. Exactly, yes, we have to save something treats. for later. Yes. yes, absolutely. But it seems that this is quite an important bit of the story, isn't it? It does, it's quite well known and uh, it, it's often treated as being very central to the story. In fact, I, I know that when we've told it in the past, this is very often a section that we'll tell. Oh, yeah, the coming of Lou to Tara. Exactly, yeah. 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 And um, the first part, the voice, the, the first voice I gave in the storytelling at the beginning was the voice of the doorkeeper. Well, at least the one who's on duty. Exactly. Because they've really two of them. Yeah, well, you need at least two bouncers, you know, in any kind of high-class joint, you you don't want someone to be left out there on their own. The one who's on duty is called Cavill McRiegel, but it's also says in the text there's another one there called Gavel McFiegel. 
Yeah, now, funny, these doorkeepers, they're kind of important, aren't they? They're, they're characters who turn up in... I mean, after all, they didn't have locks on their doors, and you didn't no. have great big doors with locks and bolts and No, things. no, you just had someone with a very sharp spear and <laughs> the door instead. But doorkeepers had a, a status and importance, didn't they? Well, certainly, I mean... It, it is an important role if you've got a load of VIPs inside in Tara. You know, you do want to keep the riffraff out. But they weren't low-status, mean no, people, were they? No, no, not per se. Um, again, it's sort of, they have a particular kind of role in story, but in, in terms of the legal and status text, what you get particularly are the people who watch boundaries. Mm-hmm. That the boundary of a Tuath's um, land is... Um, guarded by someone who's actually a grade of poet called Rishik, um, which is... Kind a bounders. <laughs> well, what they are is they're little pawns, yeah, and yeah. their job is to watch for anyone coming into the territory and to kind of test their knowledge and gauge what their status is through using metres of poetry. And then if they're of sufficient status to be let in, then they will accompany them to uh, the, the central authority. So Poetry again, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So You know, you can't get anywhere unless you can express yourself in poetry. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's, you're absolutely right. In um, doorkeepers mm. in, and gatekeepers in story yeah. are amazing. And they do tend to come in pairs. Oh, yeah. Tell us about this particular pair. Well, you can hear straight away that they are a pair by the, the rhyming names, Gavel Machregel and Gavel Machregel. I'm even trying to keep it straight myself when I'm saying it. Now, Gavel Machregel, Fekal, who's the one who's not on, um, his name seems to mean Gavel is the name for a fork, particularly like a, a forked branch yeah. or a forked stick. And then the Fekal bit is a little bit tricky. Um, it seems to be some kind of a bush. And so what you have is a sort of a forked branch overall with his yeah. name. And that to me is a bit like the yes, no. It's yeah, a bit like yeah. The, it, it comes across like um, horns of a dilemma. Exactly. You know, like a two-path, which way do you go? Exactly. Choose this or that. But also the fork stick yeah. is like something that you prevent someone coming in or yeah. catching something you catch a sheet with. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the crook or exactly. the original form of crook. Yeah. The fork. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost like that kind of that binary dilemma thing. Which I bring... got you. Which way are you going to go? Yes, yeah, so we have that, the forked stick. And then Kavel... Who's the other one? Kavel McRiegel, who's the one who's actually on, which is oh, kind yeah. of interesting. Um, again, his his given name is a little bit tricky. It's spelt C-A-M-A-L, I think. And... You're telling me it should be pronounced Kavel. <laughs> um... It's actually possible that it might be. Oh, you can't <laughs> My name is Camel McRiegel. Yeah. yeah, well, the the best kind of analysis I can make anyway of his name is, is that it is to do with calm, which is bent or crooked. Mm-hmm. And usually something that, you know, has been, you know, ought to be straight that is a bit crooked. Mm-hmm. And then the real bit just seems to be a rule. And so it's Camel, the, the bent one, bent the son rules. of... Regal a rule, so it's if you put Son them of together. A bent rule. Yeah. So you got the fourth stick, the horns yeah. of the dilemma, and the bent rule. Yeah. Now you've you've got so many stories about um, doorkeepers like that in in folklore. Yes, and they always make these kind of pairs, uh, including the the famous riddle of the two doorkeepers who say, you know, one of us always lies and the other one always tells the truth. And you have to choose You're exactly, friendly, you know, like labyrinth. In yeah. Labyrinth, oh yeah. Know. I know that one. It's that one. Yeah. <laughs> Because we cheated. Exactly, yeah. Uh, uh, and there's so many that the importance of doorkeepers, oh, I mean, like, oh, even Macbeth. 
Uh, yes. You know, you're the doc knocking without a door. Yes. You know, and it's the jokey but not jokey. Mm. This very serious person who stands at the liminal edge of things mm. and either lets you pass. Yeah. And, and you do it through joking, through trickery, mm. through... I mean, another one I was thinking of just out of literature is Ursula Gwynne's beautiful Wizard of Earthsea, where the jokey doorkeeper mm. is actually one of the nine. Yeah. You know, one of the, uh, the, 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 the great wizards. Yeah. And uh, yet he's hidden all the way through. Mm. No, I can see that um, this is another pair of those absolutely comic but serious deep doorkeepers yeah, yeah. who you have to be able to get past or yeah. you're not even going to be able to get begin. I love mm. that bit, especially that when, when Lou turns up with his great retinue of mm. beautifully dressed people and he stands there all going, look at me, I'm absolutely fantastic, you're mm. going to let me in here. The one who's on duty is the son of a bent rule, the yeah. one who goes, okay. Right. But, you you're know, not, your see. name's not down, you're not supposed to no, come in. So you're going but... to have to find a way of getting past me. Exactly. Uh, no, I like that. Mm. And also, it's very much part of the journey of the hero. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's the, sort of the first testing of the hero as yes, he sets out the, on his journey. Are you going to be allowed to even get into the adventure? Yeah. Can you open the door? Mm. Do you open? Do you knock on the door? Do you turn the handle? Or do you climb over the wall? Mm -hmm. But you've got to get through it somehow. Well, in this case, Lou, he both knocks on the door, but then also kind of ultimately goes around the side with a little bit of... A trick, a bit of sophistry. He tries to do everything as usual, doesn't of he? Of course he does, yeah. He's Lou. Yeah. <laughs> so let's look at what happens when he meets this son of event rule. Yeah. Starts boasting, doesn't he? He does. And uh, boasting is a grand tradition, not just in Ireland. Uh, there's also good evidence that a good boasting competition was important to the Saxons. And the Vikings. Absolutely. It seems to be something that you could become, you know, what you said you were. Yeah. You were. Yeah. And people would believe your boasts uh, and they knew that they were exaggerated yeah mind you you still had to make good challenges yes you still had to actually see through on them once you'd said it you'd have to see yeah, it through you said that you could like beowulf yeah uh, you know dive to the bottom and swim under the water for six days mm. people wouldn't expect you to do that but they would expect you to swim yes <laughs> yes exactly so we have lou kind of boasting because of course the the cavil the doorkeeper has said only people with a craft can enter tara and uh, so then Lou starts coming up with this list, list of all the crafts and all the skills that he list. can do. There's ten of them I've been counting. Um, and essentially when he sort of starts off and says, you know, let me in, I think one of the first ones he says is a smith, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and the, of course the doorkeeper replies, well, we have a smith already. Um, and so then Lou suggests something else. And among that list, there's he's a carpenter. He's, oh, no, 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 we've already got one. Yeah, we He's a poet. Oh, uh, we've got they're all poets when they've been drinking. Yeah, he's uh, you know all of these things. He's, he's a brazier and a harp. Did I say harper? Yeah, a glorious harper. Yeah. Oh, he says you should hear him. They all think they're the best. Yes, and he says he, he's he's a um, what does he say? A poet and a historian. Mm. Actually, Philip August Shanker yeah, go poet together. Historian. Yeah, so poet and historian go together. You know, the and cupbearer. Oh yes, that's, that's an another very important one. one. And um, what's quite nice is that each time the doorkeeper responds. He'll give the name. Yeah, he gives of, the name of the one he thinks yes. is the best. Yeah, and so he's got for he's got nine cupbearers that he names. In mm -hmm, fact, mm -hmm. uh, some of which they're they're quite fun. We'll put up 
the translations of these onto oh, the, that, names onto the are website. always great fun. Absolutely, and they tell you a lot. And those yeah. cupbearers are particularly important. We yeah. might come back and say a bit more about them. Ogma, the strong man. And, yeah. Now, yeah. again, this is the thing. Ogma is often called, in these translations, often the champion. But the word is train there, and that just means strong man. Mm-hmm. And I think that, as we'll see, that that's quite a good description for what he does. Mm-hmm. Certainly once Lou actually gets into Tara. But he still gets in by a trick. It is. It's kind of like a bit of sophistry. You know, it's like uh, no man with one craft can enter Tara. Well, I've got millions of crafts, so, you know, you what about that then? Da, 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 da. See? So... And the doorman next lets him in, but there's always a feeling that he also lets him in because um, he is... A well presented and mm. beautiful youth. Yes. And it seems to, that always um, personal presentation and uh, youthful beauty, you know, or, or mm. physical beauty is actually. It's deeply important. It is. And far more than we would like to think. Exactly. And I mean, there's often this sense, like when we were talking about Bresch, for example, that, you know, to choose a leader on the basis of his beauty is somehow kind of shallow or trivial. But within the literature as a whole, um, there is the personal beauty is often the first positive characteristic of a, of a hero, it's hero or leader. Mentioned, isn't it? And uh, in fact, Damien McManus has done a very nice article on this in one of the recent editions of Eru, which is the uh, journal from the Royal Irish Academy. Um, and he, his uh, article is called Good Looking and Irresistible. <laughs> Descriptions of heroes up to oh, it's not classical fair, bardic verse. You know, so really, actually, physical beauty is very important. Yeah, it's a bit tough, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's have a look and see what happens when he actually gets inside. Yeah. Well, by this point, uh, Noida, of course, is back in charge, isn't he? Uh, yeah, it would certainly seem so. Although, you know, it's... Well, we've actually left flux. out a section on Noida's arm and how, you remember at the beginning when of we course. were talking about Noida, we get a silver arm, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. And they he's blemished, he can't be king. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you've listened to uh, Mythical Women... Episode four or, about Arabid. You'll already know the story in which uh, uh, Noida gets his arm repaired by her brother, Miak. Yes. And our Dean Kite takes issue over it. He does. on the head with an axe. Yes. And we thought, we've actually a lot more to that. Yes. And we will be looking at this again again and referencing it when we get to the uh, four craftsmen the four craftsmen which we did one after next yes yeah so um, we but, have skipped some sections yeah. in strict chronology but there's good reason for it yeah and, and you and after all you know you can always check up the text exactly if you want yeah um now Noda is back and he's better he's got his own hand back yes but he carries the burden of his blemish, you feel, somehow on him. Uh, he does. I mean, the fact that he became blemished lost him the kingship and therefore kind of gave that opportunity, it would seem, for the Fovera, the Fomorians, to bring in their tribute. So even though Nuida has been restored to leading the Dadanan, there's still this sense that because he was originally blemished, then that allowed the Fomorians in yeah, and put them under tax. Yeah, but definitely... The king. Definitely. I, th- I think there's no question. Yeah. And I mean, the Children of Turin. Yes. Um, which is the 14th century text, mm. half of which is half actually. Of the text is actually about Moitura. Yeah. Um, he, his arm is somebody else's. Yeah, that's a wonderful <laughs> little story. I love that bit. 
It's a bit a bit Cinderella-ish. It's a, they make a model of his arm and, and go, go around the people and whose ever arm this fits. <laughs> well, give up their arm to the other king. Agreed? <laughs> Agreed. Whether you like it. And they, they find a swineherd whose yeah. arm matches this wooden arm or yeah. model arm. It yeah. just says model arm. <laughs> and uh, they say, okay, will this one do? And the, the doctors say, yeah, that one will do. Yeah. There's no mention of what the swineherd thinks. No, no, of course not. No. <laughs> but at that point, it's quite clear the silver hand is festering. Silver yeah. hand is festering. Yeah, yeah. Because it, there's some talk of a beetle. A oh, yes. That crawls yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And, and that the king is groaning in, in, in pain, agony. Yeah. And, uh, so that's the beginning of the story of the children of the fate of the children of Turin. So yes. It's still very much Bardem Moidura. But I love this bit about the army gets. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is in fact not his own. So yeah. In some ways, yeah, he's, he's, he's back, but he's not. He's, he's not He's not unblemished. He no longer has a blemish, but he's not undamaged. Yeah. And there, of course, is Luke. Yes. Good looking mm-hmm. and uh, well presented mm. and full of youthful exuberance. Yeah, yes. And he has to make good his boast. He does. He, he has to actually demonstrate and his And he does skill. it too. He does. And the, the first testing in, in good Irish style is the game of fiddle. Um, now this appears in so many different stories and sagas um, most notably in one of my our favourites which is Mither and Aedy mm-hmm. and Mither uh, plays Fichel against the is earthly king Yuchad that nobody actually knows exactly how the game was played well now there was someone that I knew in Trinity who was doing her PhD about games in old mm. Irish society which I think includes Fichel but it is largely speculative we yeah. do have some boards like gaming boards and pieces and so on but no the, there's no I don't think anyone can be certain there's certainly no written description of the rules fe- feeling it was more like the Viking game or or, or like the Nine Man's Morris yeah, a game. A it's bit like, like a that. strategy, almost like Fox and Goose. Yeah. They're all strategy games mm. in which one has to move across the board yeah. surrounded by his figures. Or, yeah, yeah. But it's not quite as... No, again... It's not chess. No, it's not chess. Because, I mean, for one thing, I, as far as I know, in any pieces they found, there doesn't seem to be the same number of pieces on each side. Mm-hmm. You know, but again... This is not my area of expertise. No, no, and nobody knows. And there's an awful lot of speculation. But what is clear is that it is vitally important uh, to early Irish society and particularly to this kind of mythology. Um, but when you come across it in stories, that uh, you always play this game for a stake. You know, you bet yeah, something yeah, yeah. on it. You say, if I win, then you have to do this. But if you win, I'll do that. So there's always something at stake so like it's that. like it's a good betting game. Yeah, a betting game. But also it, it can be a way, like like with Mither and the Yuckad, it can be a way of kind of tricking what you yeah, want out yeah. of somebody. Or they're playing that same game when, when um, Fionn is up in the tree. The, the quicken tree yes trying to get fruit for Grania um, not Fionn sorry a Dermot is yes. up in the tree hiding yeah. Fionn's after him Fionn's down below yeah yeah playing playing Fihel, Fihel with yeah. the such half and the surly yes you know. yeah yeah and uh, Dermot can't resist yeah. and starts dropping dropping the rowan berries down into the position that will win the game exactly yes yeah. so yeah it comes up over and over again mm. and and very often in that thing it's it's a, it's very much the kind of the battle of wits Mm-hmm. You know, I I personally think, although I know it's connected with figures from the other world, seem to get involved in this mm. a lot. Mm. But also, it's just it's proving your ability to develop strategy. Well, absolutely, strategy. Yeah. So I think that's it what most board practical. games are about no. is you know battle strategy. And so it's developing. Mm. You're showing that your ability to yeah. um, have good methods of strategy, yeah. good strategies, yeah. applies. Yeah. There's another really bit I like in there. It mentions that. Um, 
uh, mentions the fact that this um, uh, this game hadn't been invented. Oh yes. Um, yes, yeah, so about Troy. It said this proves yeah. that um, this battle of Moitura took place at the same time as the fall of Troy. Yeah, it's, it's kind that. of it's it's one of those wonderful little authorial. I can't exactly how it goes. It's, it's sort of an, an authorial interpolation, and mm. uh, whereby you know the main text has happened, and then it's like brackets open or a little mm. footnote and uh, the the redactor uh, the compiler of this particular version says well that couldn't really have happened because as we know fiddle was invented after the destruction of troy and since the battle of moitura and the and the siege of troy happened at the same, same time, time it couldn't possibly have reached ireland yet yeah which i think is it is it's it's one of those synchronisms this kind of you know meta narrator who is faithfully repeating the tale as it's told mm. even though he personally disagrees with its accuracy mm-hmm. which i quite like yeah you know. and it also shows the level of classical learning in oh, the ninth century absolutely they already had you know texts of uh, you know we have uh, old and middle irish texts which tell us of uh, the siege of troy the roman civil war um the adventures of hercules or heracles yeah, sorry amazing, and, and ulysses you know that yeah. these things were as popular as uh, some of the you know, Hebraic writings. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the other test, isn't mm. it? Suddenly has to challenge your strongman. Absolutely. There, there's there's two more, in fact. The, the next one, he uh, he is challenged by Alkma, who is trained there, the strongman, like I say, usually translated champion. And what Alkma does is he lifts up the massive flagstone from the hearth of Tara and chucks it out through the wall. Leaving a... Fucking great Bloody hole big hole as well. Seems a stupid thing to do to me. It is <laughs> <laughs> a bit. And uh, so what Lou does, or Lug does, is he goes outside, picks up the stone, throws it back in through the wall, but includes the section of wall which he magically <laughs> manages Very to replace. Cinematic. So you know, as well as being strong, he's obviously also a bit of a plasterer. You know. And then um, there's the harp, isn't it? Yes, yes the three the, strains on the harp. Yes, the three magical strains of Irish music, which yeah. are the gold traga, the suan traga, and the gar traga. Yeah. I think. I've, yeah. I can't quite remember the terms, but they're the the laughing strain, the weeping, weeping strain, strain, and the, the sleeping, sleeping strain. strain. The sleepy music. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting there? Just look at what he's done. Though. Mm. I mean, in one foul swoop, yes, he has usurped Nuada, Ogma, and the Dacta. Exactly, the three greatest of the figures. Mm. He's gone. Well, anything you can do, I can I do, do better. better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, with Nuada, who was their battle chief for the first battle, you the know, strategy. he beats him in F- in Fihil. Then Ogma, the their strength. strong man, he beats him, does better. And then um, finally, the Dagda, who's so intimately connected with a harp yeah. that the presidential seal of Ireland the bears the yeah. Dagda's harp. Yeah, That's how important beautiful. it is. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's the whole field mm. of, um, you know, sort of strategy, strength, and craft. Yes. It's, 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 he is proving himself to be all crafted. Yes, yeah. Proud of a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Young upstarts. It's like one of those awful little prodigies who just comes along and does everything. Yeah, so well, you can, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I mean, Nuada agrees to give him, interesting enough, the text says 13 days of texting. Testing. Yes. Um, 13 days so of texting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, I am not talking about texting. No, it wasn't that good. Well, the, the, way, the way that the text puts it is that for 13 days, Nua the rose before Log. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, he gives him that the, the top-notch mm-hmm. position. And they give him the seat of the sage as well as the yeah, other thing. but it's interesting because they don't make him king. No, they don't. He's um, basically the Dux Bellorum, the war leader. Which is not a beautiful duck. 
No, it's not a beautiful duck. It's often the term applied to, say, Arthur. Yes, yeah. Um, who is, you know, regarded as the leader of a war band. Mm. And I mean, Fionn would be a duxpolong. Absolutely, yeah. Of the Fionn, He's yeah. a leader of a war band. Yeah, yeah. And in the um, the Fate of the Sons of Turin, mm. it's very clear that he's not absolutely king at all. Because he's always talking to the King of Tara, king for of one Tara thing. Nuada. Who's Nuada. And even the King of Connacht has given Bo-Derek. us... Well, both of Derg, not Bo Derek. Not Bo Derek. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I said Derek. They always go together in my head, anyway. But it's both of Derek, anyway. Bo Derek. Yeah, oh, yeah sorry. <laughs> oh, it's not fair. Anyone whose name is spelled B O D G. Yeah, yeah. It's sometimes these names are very difficult. They are a bit, and I do my best with them. So it's a very human story, really. I mean, the way I look at it, Lou's being given effectively given permission to go and raise an army mm. and run an army. Mm. Um, Effectively, it's not the job of the king to go into battle. It's the job of his army and his generals to go into battle. Yeah. And um, as far as I know, for instance, the way Celtic heritage puts it, I Mm. mean, there is, it is a particular almost castly function. Do you think, how do you feel about their way of looking at society? Um, It it certainly is. It's one of the ways that that, um, early Irish society is is very often analysed. Um, not not just in Celtic Heritage by the Reeses, but also no, I like that book. It though. is. It's a great book. Storytellers Handbook. Absolutely. And but other scholars since, mm. and particularly looking at a text like this, they very often talk about Georges Dumézil's three functions. Mm-hmm. Right now, Georges Dumézil, uh, I think his background is anthropology. But, it is. Yeah. But essentially, he was looking at a very structuralist approach to world mythology and looking at you know what the common ground was. Now, my usual hobby horse is that we haven't yet got to post structural but um, essentially in terms of these functions he saw these if you like archetypal functions within mm-hmm. the society and then there was the the kingly kind of governing function, function. which a lot of the scholars have said well Nuada fulfills that function mm-hmm. then you have the warrior class who you know have to both defend and occasionally attack and raid but generally uh, didn't own land no that they, they were they were kind of employed if you like by mm-hmm. the local lord or king in order to do this and we're so, given a lot of freedom yeah yeah so that that and that, that function is kind of upheld by log um and then that you have the agricultural producer mm-hmm. function um which again a lot of analysts have given to Bresh mm. within this story. I find that slightly helpful. And uh, the Reeses then, in uh, their wonderful book, Celtic Heritage, which we always recommend, uh, they extend this idea of looking at the various functions within society, and they even go so far as to associate different parts of the country with the various different functions. Which, often enough, is quite apt when you think that the warrior caste is in the north. Uh, yeah, well... You, and, you, of course, all the magic and learnings in the, in west, the west, which we know anyway. Naturally. <laughs> and all the prosperity is in the east. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> and as for Munster, well, well okay. no, less said, soon as mandated. <laughs> but they get all the music and the magic and the underground stuff. Yeah. And the slaves. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, the next bit I really like, something strange happens. Mm-hmm. And something that, as I understand, is specific to this text only. That... Yes. Essentially, we have uh, three pretty complete tellings of the Battle of Moitura. We've got this 9th century text that we're mostly working from. There's also the early modern Irish text, yeah, yeah. which is edited by Brian Lee Cueve. But the one that often doesn't get compared is the beginning of the yeah. story of the Sons of Turin. But none of them mention this. This is the only one of those. They shut Lou out. They um, do. Dagda, Ogma, Nuada, Gothnu and Dianceg to get together mm. and they meet for a year. Yes. And the text pretty well implies, I was pretty certain, that Lou is 
not there. Well, I think it's also, that's kind of backed up by the fact that after they've gone on this Amrun, this secret time where they're preparing with all of their craftspeople, they then have to go and do it all in front of Lou. So afterwards. Well, what happens is that as well as these named dignitaries going away, they all also say the characters. Yeah, yeah, they say that they're away with all of their lawgivers and their druids and all the rest of it. And what we have is we have three specific uh, people or groups of people saying what they'll do for the battle. First of all, we have the Kurglinach, which is... Sorcerers. Yeah, that's usually translated as sorcerer. Now, the term itself, Kurglinach, seems to mean either heron wounding or a heron wound. So it's something to do with herons and it's something to do with wounding. <laughs> and um, here, uh, he's named as Mothkin, which is pretty much the Irish equivalent of Mathap Mathanwi. Mathanwi. Yeah, the who, bear son of the bear-like. Yeah, who is definitely um, connected with Lou, oddly enough. Absolutely. He, he is the one who causes, effectively, Lou to be born. Yes, yeah. But go on. Yeah, so first of all, we have the, the sorcerer, for want of a better term, Mathgen. And uh, what he says he will do is he will cause the mountains of Ireland to shake so that the tops, the summits of the mountains will fall down to the ground and it will appear that the 12 chief mountains of Ireland are fighting for the two of the Dunham. And interestingly enough, it includes the Curlews. It does, yes. It names the 12 world. chief mountains or groups and, of uh, mountains. Well, there's a myth of the well of... Uh, of Segesh. Yes, yeah. the mythical source of Shannon. There's a myth that that's somewhere up around the Curlews, which is quite nice. Um, has a, has a, not, a, not a salmon of wisdom there, there's a trout. Well, trout, salmon, you know, trout. when it's down deep anyway, in the water. That's beside <laughs> So that So that's the first kind of promise of what will be done in the battle. Then we get the cupbearers. Um, and we touched on them before when we had Lug's arrival at Tara and he claimed to be a cupbearer. Now here, what they say they will do for the battle is that they will hide all the rivers and lakes of Ireland <laughs> from the Fovera so that even if they go to them looking for a drink, they won't be able to find any. Mm -hmm. However, of course, the men of the Tua de Danon, if they were in battle for seven years, they will never go thirsty. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to talk here a little bit about the names of the cupbearers. Mm -hmm. We're given that in that earlier section where Lug comes to Tara, but I think it's worth just having a look at them here uh, to see, well, you know, how do they have the power to hide the chief lakes and rivers of Ireland from the Fovera? And it's in their names? I think so. The names that are given, there's nine of them, and they're in three groups of three, mm -hmm. which is all terribly nice and mathematically satisfying. So the first group of three, we have Delt and Drucht and Dyset. Now, Delt is the name of a river somewhere. I'm not sure whether that's been properly identified. You'd have to look at Hogan's Onomasticon to look at that. But it's the name of a river. The, the other two, though, Drucht and Dyset, are very nice. What the words mean is dew and light. But more importantly, it's a pairing that appears in a particular formula for giving an oath. Mm. And it's the kind of oath that says, I swear it by the sun and the moon. I swear it by the dew and the light. I swear it by the land and the sea. Mm. It's beautiful mm. sort of oath making that these are the sureties you give for your oath. So it's two, they are two of the sureties. They are two of those sureties. What about sureties? the second uh, the, the second uh, little triad um, I really like as well. There's Thoi and Talav and Troh. 
Now, both toy and trug mean birth or parturition, the actual act of giving birth. Yeah. And tolov in the middle is the ground. Yes. So that's something pretty damn important. Well, maybe you'll forgive the, pun. the springing forth of Absolutely, water. yeah. Or, or the whole connection with birthing and water, you know, the amniotic fluid mm. and all the rest of that. Um, so that's what they're... It's real basic stuff, isn't it? Yeah, It is, and, and very elemental, very, yeah, basic. And the third group? The third group are a little bit more um, formulaic, if you like. There's Glay and Glan and Glesha. and Which Gle sounds nice together. It does, of course, and that's part of it. And Glay and Glan, you'll very often hear, you know, Glay Gal or Glay Glan as, as a compound term. Glay means clear and Glan is pure. Clear and pure. Yeah. And Glesha is, again, it's closely related to the Glay. So they're all about being clear and pure and bright. Mm, so it's That's all to do are. with... And then isn't there, um, you've got another, the Drui? Yes, the Drui is, is the next one who, who's, and, who oh, says yeah. what he'll do. And this, this is where you get... A bit get more dramatic, isn't it? Fireworks. This is literal fireworks. And this is the Drui uh, called Figgle uh, MacMorvish. Um, so he's he's something to do with breaking of fences uh, from from what I can so sort of gather. Yeah, yeah. And what he says he'll do, he's got a bit of a list. He's going to bring a rain of fire down on the faces of the Fovera. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, so that's they... worse, though, doesn't it? It does a bit. Yeah. <laughs> he then says that he will bind their urine in their bodies and in the bodies of their horses. Which could get awkward in the middle of battle. Oh, very painful. Anyone who's ever had cystitis or any kind of. <laughs> I know. Could you <laughs> fight a battle with a kidney infection? I think not. I think not. Um, and also, that, that's why they they give up their strength and courage. Yeah, exactly. That every breath they exhale that will get will lessen their strength and their courage. But for the two of the Danon, every breath they take will increase their strength yeah. and their courage. Though they be in battle for seven years. Yeah, and then the Dagda. No, he's oh, yes. old, good old Dagda. Good old Dagda. He is then the last to speak. So there's only sort of four mm -hmm. pledges, if you like, in, in this episode. And the Dagda comes in and he says that all of those things you've promised, I can do them all myself. Mm. And so all the people say, say is who on Dagda. You're the best. You're the best of <laughs> the best. What is interesting is that effectively he's saying exactly what Lou says. Yes. He's saying, you know, he's saying, yes, you can do these things individually. Mm. But I can do them all. I can. Yeah. So he's also Ildarnik. Yes. Yeah. And but Lou isn't there. No. No. Yeah. And now, Lou's skills tend to be the, the practical crafts, but yeah. the Dagda here is saying that he can also move mountains and hide rivers and rain fire. Yeah. Actually, I think we've said that we feel this is quite significant to the story, but we're yes. going to come back to the Dagda in a while. We will do. We're looking forward to it. Oh, but yes. Restraint, restraint. Yes, we need to hold something back for next time. But we're dealing with something really elemental here. Mm. And oddly enough, I know these stories are full of magic, but that sort of magic is actually quite rare. It is. You find it more in the Welsh stories in many ways. Yeah. Everyone's always hitting each other with magic wands in the Welsh. <laughs> but here they're shaping and making the land. Mm. And that has nothing to do with Lou. Mm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Absolutely. So as you mentioned earlier, now we do the whole thing over again. This is the second round of listing. Yeah. They do it all over again with added loo. <laughs> you know, it's almost like, yo, you know, problems with your wash? Ah, oh, try 
new to Donnan with added lube. Bigger, <laughs> brighter, better, cleaner. And once more, it's going to take seven years. It takes seven years. And this is the longest listing that we have. Uh, there was... I think there was 10 when Lou first came to Tara. We've just yeah. had a nice, concise little four, but this is a list of 12. Well, just before we start that, yeah. they're, they're supposed to go to the three dogs of the Dodonan. Oh, yes. But I was wondering, um, they go there to get equipment. Mm. Could this be the only reference to the fate of the Sons of Turin in this text? It could indeed. It's a little bit unclear because this is one of the things where in the glossaries you sometimes have these three day Danon, the three gods of, of, of the people of Danu. And in some of the glosses, they're named as Gaifnu and Lukta and Krednakerd, who, of course, we have in this story. But, importantly, in some others, they're called Brian, Ukur and Lokhurva. And they are the three sons of Turin. Now, the fate of the children of Turin, that's a long story in a 14th century text. But the whole first half, as we said earlier, is actually about the Battle of Moitura. Yeah. And it starts with, as we said, the two physicians coming to Tara and curing Nurda and all the rest of it. But then Lou sets off to gain support from all around the country. Mm. And everywhere he goes, he's travelling with the fairy cavalcade, this yes. fairy host, all of which have wonderful names like Fairy Daisy, Fairy Hedgehog. <laughs> no, the, the, no, no, no. There's, there's Bright Son of Bright. And, and there's Redness and all... Rough Bright yeah. and all sorts of... But they are a bit sort of strange. Mm. And uh, on, on the way, he comes up against Bresh. Mm. And he has a battle with Bresh and uh, he tricks him, which mm. is probably where the poem that we... That we from the Metrical Dinshanicus on Carmine, it's where Lou makes all these fake cows and yeah, then forces Bresh to drink the It also water. talks about bull's blood being too powerful mm. to drink unless you know what you're doing yeah, and things yeah. like that. And, uh, but he defeats the Fomorians and he sends um, uh, only nine of them he saves to send back to Balor to oh, show yes. that they've been beaten. And yeah, that's yeah. when Balor turns around and says, go and get your boats and tie up the country and send it to the north. Yes. <laughs> and we'll deal with them up there. Exactly. You know? So we'll get taken to the frozen north and yeah. see how they like that. Lou goes back to Kartara, leaving his supporters rushing around getting extra people to help with the mm. battle. And um, Kian, Lou's father, and his brothers mm -hmm. meet the three sons of Turin. Now, there's a battle feud between them. There's a terrible family feud between them. And it's said if those if they if those two pairs of brothers meet, mm. then they won't leave each other without beating the lights out of each other. <laughs> and so they do. Yes. But well, the trouble is that when they meet, Kian is on his own. Mm. And because he knows his brothers aren't around at the moment, he turns himself into a pig. In order to hide. In order to hide. As you do. Yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with that. And uh, But the trouble is that uh, the other two brothers don't notice it, but mm. one of the brothers, one of the, the three sons of Turin, Brian, says, mm -hmm. aha, hang on a minute, you can't tell the difference between a, what they actually say, a druidical pig? <laughs> you can't tell the difference between an ordinary pig and a magical pig? Yes. Look, I'll show you. Yeah. And he doesn't go and tap the pig. No, he turns his two brothers into hounds. Yeah. And they chase the pig. And they get the poor pig on its own. Mm. And the pig says, please, will you let me go? And they go, ha ha, told you. You're not a pig. We knew you weren't a pig. Please, will you do me one favour? Will you let me turn back into a man before you kill me? Mm. When he's turned back into a man, he says, ha ha, now if you kill me, you'll have to pay the fine for a man. Mm. Whereas if you'd kill me when I was a pig, you'd have only had to pay the time for a pig uh -huh. and yes. they go bother and he says what's more if you kill me your weapons will cry out in horror at the deed and they'll tell everyone what they'll they did. tell everybody that this is a kinslaying mm. you know this is mm. your, your, you know you can't yeah. do this yeah and uh, they say we don't care and actually they kill him by throwing stones at him yeah very and nasty it's extremely until there's just a bloody mess on the ground pretty much yeah but the earth won't receive him either and they have mm. to bury him several times mm. and the earth keeps throwing him back well in the end they go back and this is getting too long but Lou 
Lou finds out. Yes. And he sets a fine on them. Mm. And the fine starts off something very simple, like a cooking spirit and a boat and something. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, three shouts on a hill. But yeah. then he explains that each one of them mm. is an impossible task. Exactly. And there are far too many tasks to go, mm. to go and read it. It's yeah. good fun. It is. It's very it's, long. It's, yeah, it's it's very much either, you know, the trials of Heracles or... Or Kirk and Alwyn. Kirk and Alwyn. Yeah. yeah. If you do that, then you will not do this. And it goes on for ages. Yeah. But at the end of it, of course, the brothers die. Yes. And it's very sad because it's a, a kin slaying and mm. they, they, they slew someone and then they wouldn't own up to it. Yes. I, t I think that what, what makes it so dreadful is uh, that it is secret murder. Now, the, the Irish law text, they talk about different kinds of killing. Mm -hmm. and and this is the worst. This is it? the worst kind. The two worst kinds are secret murder, which is either when you do it in a, a place where there's no one around to see, so no witnesses, or you then conceal it. Mm -hmm. which is exactly what they do here, mm -hmm. which is what the Sons of Turin do. And they do. don't they, take responsibility for yeah, it. Exactly. And then, you know, they do everything to try and avoid being found out, mm -hmm. you know, including burying the body without telling anyone, including not using their weapons so that the weapons couldn't be used as evidence. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this kind of thing. Um, and even when they're confronted, they don't own up to it, particularly Brian, who's kind of mm -hmm. the ringleader. The other sort of the the only thing possible that is worse than that is a kinslaying, which is mm -hmm. Fingal, because, of course, it's the family mm -hmm. of uh, the murdered person who has to be uh, get reparation for their death so Lou is getting reparation for his father's killing mm -hmm. from these three and so it is while there isn't a death penalty per se for most crimes in early Irish law essentially what Lou has done here is to make a fine that is so high that it will end up killing and it does. the perpetrators and yeah. it does and this tale is listed as one of the three great sorrows of Irish yeah. storytelling but it's the le it's the least known of the three it is and in fact half of it is in fact is the, the battle, battle of Montura. Montura. and we better get back to what we were absolutely talking about. <laughs> but in many ways saying that in the battle of Montura that they went to the three nails Malon, so the three yeah. gods of Dalan, uh, for their weaponry. You could see it as going to the sons of Turin for all of these magical items that some they get. Fantastic go. stuff, exactly. which are never mentioned again. No, of course not. <laughs> they don't come into the story at all. Yeah. So let's look. So far, we've uh, we've have he was made Duxbelorum for thirteen days. Yes. Then there was one year. Mm -hmm. Then there were three years. Then yes. this took seven years. Yes. So well, if you're into numerology, you make what you like of it, but yes. it still seems random. Well, just seems like they're saying and then it took seven years so you know it's sort yeah. of a, a length of time that sounds impressive. So Lou basically has been away now for a year and a day let's say yes. an unspecified length of important time. Yes. But battle is getting really close now both sides are gathering it's inevitable mm. and at this point as you could expect the Morrigan, the Morian, appears yes. and speaks a piece of extremely obscure poetry to Lou to, <laughs> which starts awake but that's how Elizabeth Gray has given right. the, the that's all she says oh wait dot, 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 dot. dot well I'm going to read um, a part of Isolde's translation of this <coughs> poem it's, it's not a long one thankfully no, no, no so. it isn't it goes a bit like this undertake a victorious battle Banish, besides unyoked chariots will be destroyed doomed men will be beaten they come upon the cooking pit of the scald crow kingdoms are laid waste they fear awakening forever uh, like to comment on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, it's it's uh, 
lovely little Morrigan piece. You know, again, it's it's putting things in the the definite future tense. This is what yeah, will happen. Yeah. I particularly like that line that they will come upon the cooking pit of the Bazva, the scald crows. crows. Yeah, and uh, there, there's yeah. quite. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's quite a lot in kind of the mythology and in, in some Dinkianicus as well about cooking pits of the Morrigan, mm-hmm. you know. So th- this is clearly a thing that is important, you know. I love that they fear awakening forever. Now, I kind of took a bit of a liberty in terms of the, the pun because, uh, as we said in Gray's translation, this starts with awake. Wake. Dot dot dot. Now I've retranslated that as sort of banish, banish yeah, yeah. as well. You know, so banish forever, but the. I think that when it comes back round to it at the end, what they fear, you know, you could see it as, uh, you know, almost like they fear waking up from their dreams to find that they've dreamed true. Yeah, you know, they're, you know suddenly battle you've been talking about. Ah, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Exactly, it's exactly. That, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. But of course, we've now got to jump in terms of the text mm. from section 75 right down to 94. Yes. And I apologise. We both apologise. <laughs> An awful lot happens in those oh, yes. sections. And we, and we will come to... closer to the battle. Yes. But during those sections, the Dagda gets on with his own stuff. Yeah. And good stuff it is. <laughs> but we have to keep that to next time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lou is focusing on his job as battle leader. Yes. Which means turning around to all the people he's collected and going... And what will you do for the battle? Oh, so we finally got to that second listing. We exactly. About. Yes. It's it's very much like the first time, but somehow more more heroic, more in the real world, less elemental. Mm. Um, but you really do feel that it's like two versions of the same story put together, though. Absolutely. This is a repeat. Yes, and in fact, the, the things that we came across in the first arm room, the first secret council um, of the rains of fire and uh, the the lakes and the rivers and so on, um, that that is repeated here in a slightly different form. So it seems as though that was kind of taken and included with this slightly longer list. There's yeah. 12 different answers in this. Now you get to meet all the ones you met in, that Lou met as he came with Tatara. Yes. And it's these characters are now saying what they're doing. Yes. So it's like, this is the version that includes Lou. Yeah. And so you've got to have the coming of Lou. Mm. You should go straight on to this bit. Exactly. But they've included the other bit because that's also that important. That seems to be another version yeah, of the yeah. story without Lou. Yeah. Now, it's also worth saying that uh, the early modern Irish version that's edited by Brian Lee Cueve starts here. Yeah, yeah, it starts with Lou asking everyone what they'll do for the battle. So all that we've done up until now doesn't appear in that early modern Irish mm. version. So go through a few of the craftsmen and what they bring. You know, there's Govnu, Dienkecht. Yes, we have those craftsmen of the, you know, the smith says that he will repair any broken blades or spears, um, even though the men of Ireland should be in battle for seven years. And Dienkecht says he'll bring everybody back to life. Exactly. Oh, but he can't do, there's a few things he can't do. <laughs> he can't it? cure decapitation. No, not he, that good. <laughs> he can't cure a severing of the meninges around the brain and he cannot cure a severed spinal cord. Right, so he is trying to be reasonable. Yes. Yeah. Well, these are the things <laughs> earlier on when, when he's uh, busily trying to, to do away with his son Mirk. The same things are said that, you know, a physician could cure anything except for those. Yeah, you can't, you know, we'll put put it right, but if your head comes right off, yes, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Some of the more advanced forms of death you can't (laughs) cure. And uh, the cupbearers, they, instead of 
offering to hide the hide the rivers and mm. so forth, the lakes. This time they, what isn't it that they? Uh, they said they'll bring the great thirst, thirst. to the enemy. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of like the same thing, but more practical. Yeah, yeah. Um, more more about the people than about the, Marian, the land. Um, There's an interesting thing where the Morrigan says that you know she has always been here yeah. and will do what she can. Yeah. You know, it's almost like why are you asking me? You should know what I can do. Yeah. There's also a mention of the Bantuathig. Yeah. Now, hmm. this is often translated as witches. Mm-hmm. Bantuathig means the women, could mean the, the women of the left hand, or the women of the people, simply. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are named here as Danan mm-hmm. and Behwila. And it's one of the only times... Danan, actually says anything or does anything yeah, in the entire canon of mythology. Yeah, well, we've, we've said this before. Yeah. The ancestor figures mm. don't really have stories. No, they're names and, and you know, you, you know who you come from and but you know... But they don't they ever are. have stories. They so it's just have... rare. Mm. Like Aaron Mas gets yeah. killed in the first battle. Yes. And yet there are no stories. No, and no. Not, there are no stories about Dan and either. No. 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 Uh, of course, the doctor's there, and he once again says he's going to do it all by himself. Exactly, yes. And there's this wonderful description about how the fragments of bone under his club will be as many as fragments of ice under the hooves of herds of horses. Oh, that's lovely. Isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> now, we are leaving out a section, just a brief section, where the four Morians go through the same process. Well, of Go course. on about, uh, what will you do for the battle? Yeah. It's not as long as this one or as mm. detailed, but it is there. They do prepare themselves. Yeah. Now, well. the other thing is interesting, that mm. just before the, the battle, they decide that they're going to keep Lou out of it. Yes. And now this not only comes into our text, that they wanted to keep Lou from the battle because of his beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you don't want him. No, 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 no. He's much too pretty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Much too pretty, much to, too get pretty that. to fight. My face, my valuable face. <laughs> <coughs> but um, this this does appear as well in um, the early modern Irish version. And that, in fact, they they almost want to trick Lou in order to prevent him from going to oh, the Oh, don't they um, try and put up a scheme for getting him drunk so yeah. he can't take part? Yeah. It seems that they've gone to all this... You know, yeah. earlier we had a story where they wanted to keep Lou out of Ireland altogether. Mm. And then they want to keep him from fighting. Then yeah. they want to get him drunk so he doesn't take part. Yes, yeah. It seems to be a bit... Yeah, this is intuitive a, somehow. Yeah, it's kind of a recurrent theme. <laughs> it's a theme. Yeah, and uh, but then during as the battle begins, mm. the, his nine bodyguards, yes, kind of get too excited. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and so he manages to escape them. Now, in in the text again, the, these nine figures who are named. Uh, there's so many of these wonderful lists of names, and uh, Gray translates them as foster fathers. Uh, the word is idja. Um, so it could be teachers too. Yeah, it could be. And the reason that I say teachers rather than foster fathers is because one of them is Eru. We've met Eru already and know that she's female. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you could call them teachers, you could call them foster parents. Fosterers. Yeah. But in this context, they are bodyguards, really. Bodyguards, yeah. yeah. And finally, so finally, <laughs> we have got to the battle. Hurrah! And now we're going to skip most of it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, we're going to really cover the battle in detail with the last two episodes. Yes. And there's the part about the Well of Slania, mm. where, um, you know, they throw the 
the rock Rocks thing, in and they yeah. bring them to life and yeah. oh there's loads but, yeah. but what we want to look at at the moment is uh, oh, the early skirmishes where they're testing mm. each other mm. uh, and yeah rightly they don't want their leaders killed at this point neither side put their big guns out no they're just so, sort of testing each other it's almost like that that game of you know tipping your foot over the boundary you know yes, oh, I look, suppose oh, this look. is one good reason that why well, they want to keep Lou back at this stage because mm. he's an impetuous boy yeah yeah um but when he finally his bodyguard leaves mm. him, so Lou races onto the, 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 the battlefield mm. and um you know, he doesn't go off hitting people with spears and swords. No. Oh no. <laughs> what he starts is jumping around, so the text says, yes. on one foot with one eye closed. Yes. Chanting. Yes. So what does this mean? Has he lost it? <laughs> He is hurling insults at the enemy. <laughs> no, it's, 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 yeah, it's poetry again, isn't it? It is. It's it's. He's hopping around the enemy camp. Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's poetry. It just makes me laugh because yeah. this idea of him hopping on yes. one foot, yeah. with one eye closed. So we call this loose dance. And yeah. when we're playing around with our uh, our um, loose games yeah. in the summer. This is the best game of all. Standing <laughs> on one foot with one arm. Yeah. We'll tell you about that later. Mm -hmm. But it does sound rather odd. Is anything mm. known about this dance? Um, there's quite a lot of speculation about it, um, particularly in some of the more recent literature, um, talking about it as it's, uh, I've heard it called the heron stance mm -hmm. or the druid stance in, you know, some of the, like I say, more speculative kind of literature. In terms of the mythology, I haven't really come across it. No, no, it just, in other it, places. it exists here. It does, yeah. But it, it is... I, I haven't yet done the research to say, is this the only example? Are there other examples? Yeah, yeah, Put it that way. A so, lot is made of it. I'm not so sure. No, 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 I agree. Mm. It, it could be interesting, but mm. it may just be... Yeah, it might just be a It one. sounds like single focus, you mm. know, that, that sense. But I don't know. Maybe mm. it was rather like the Romans had to stand in a certain way to speak. Mm. And yeah, it could it, be something It might like that. even be, you know, he's hurling insults at the, at the enemy camp in order to undermine them. It could almost be the equivalent of thumbing your nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... You know, it might be that this wonderful, magical, single-focused druid stance is actually a kind of a nah, 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 nah. <laughs> like the Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> Just as well this isn't a video podcast, isn't it? It's all right. Anyway, I'll come with that another time. The Welsh poets, I should have said. Not the Welsh. <laughs> Sorry, I apologise. I should have meant the old stories of the Welsh poets. Yes. Taliesin. Yes. Um, burbling. Burbling and causing the other poets to burble. Yes. I, I put that very, very badly. <laughs> I apologise. So, any comments? Well, um, I can put a full translation of what Lug actually says through the Fubara onto the website but a couple of the kinds of things that he is saying is he says that for me dark men are rarely fair and that the whole slaughterous battle can fail and one bit that I particularly like is that he says that the sound of the struggle will be like thunder giving birth that. which I think is, is quite a nice little so after a lot of thunder giving birth yes and after a lot of individual battle encounters that yes. we will hear about later mm. that we'll talk about later the Fomora finally send out Balor of the Strong Smiting yes uh, yes he and his poisonous eye which yes. is still closed at this stage mm. and what does Lou do does he attack him with a spear no he spouts more poetry yes of course he does <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. And this is another equally obscure piece of poetry. It is, that again, you won't find in translation in the main editions. So... Except on our website. Yes. We, we, will... all... we won't go through it now because it just goes on too long. <laughs> but it um, it'll be this, again, untranslated piece. It's now translated and will be on the website. Yes. And very funny it is, really. Mm. But Balor, mm. well... Yeah, maybe we ought to talk a little bit about Balor. Yeah. I mean, this great giant of a figure who appears, who has this poisonous eye which has to be kept closed at all yeah. times. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, you've got the prophecy that mm. he, he, would be... kill, he would be killed by his grandson. And mm. as we've told so many times, mm. he shuts up his daughter in a yes. tower and... And, and the kid gets at her. And, yeah, uh, if you want the full story born. of that, uh, Mythical Women, episode three, Tales mm. of Ethlu. But what's interesting is that as the story goes on, mm. and the later the version, mm. the bigger and more of a major character um, Balor becomes. Yeah. That, you know, in some versions, he's just a sort of um, this odd, evil Fomora living mm. in the background. Mm. But by the time you get to the children of um, Turin, yeah. he's very much an equivalent Dux Bellorum. He is mm. the general of the Fomoran troops. Yeah, yeah. And um, perfectly, you know, he's in charge. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's some of that in our text, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. There is a bit uh, when Bresh first goes to find his people and his father is disappointed in him and won't help him. He does send him to Balor, but alongside the other Fomoran mm. leaders. He, he becomes much more important in he later does. texts. He becomes kind of the big bad. The in big, later. yeah, the big, and uh, and of course he got his poisonous eye by mm. witnessing magic, didn't he? Yes, that his father's druids were brewing a big potion, and he was told not to look, but, but he of did. course he went and looked, and so the poison entered his eye. Now again, as the tale kind of goes on, and you get into both the later literary versions and into the folk versions, the eye is less venomous and more fiery. As time mm. goes on, mm. but it's it's quite clear in this text. It's about poison. It will wither the land, mm. not mm. burn it. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, by the time you get to the actual battle, mm. the he, it's really strange. He's described as if he was some great siege machine, yeah, like, like Grond in. In yeah, the Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. yes. But, you know, he is this great, huge figure that's trundled out on the onto the field. Yeah, and it takes twenty seven. Men, men to lift to lift his eyes yeah. which are on ropes yeah yeah this, this. and I can't see a real person <laughs> what I can see is some yeah. sort of great siege machine yeah. like a trebuchet or yeah. some sort of fantastic machine yeah. now I don't really think it is no but it's, it's got that sense the image it. hasn't yeah. it yeah. Yeah. so Lou kills Balor and does he use his shining spear uh, no, he doesn't. He seems <laughs> to have left this amazing spear, which is supposed to have come from Gorias, and, you know, when he comes to tower and he calls himself Lou of the Shining Spear... Oh, what about Mananan's sword, then? He's supposed to have the Answerer, the Retaliator. Uh, it's supposed to be this fantastic fairy sword. Yeah. No, he doesn't, doesn't have that, that either. either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lou of the Shining Spear, the great sword on Elmvar, the horse that could ride on water and the breastplate that wouldn't... No, he has none of it. No, no, he just picks up a stone and throws it in yeah. a slingshot yeah boing <laughs> which of course then knocks Balor's eye out through the back of his head so that it kills his own host of people because obviously they're standing behind him them. all 27 of them how do they open the eye by standing behind him pulleys it's all about pulleys I told you he's a siege machine yeah <laughs> Battle machine. Yeah. Not, it is weird that yeah. you know. I still keep getting this great machine that yeah. the slingshot knocks over, or mm. you know. But um, no, don't get the wrong idea. But it just feels like that. Mm. 
Uh, and yeah, yeah, and one version in Deak. Well, actually, it's a bit odd. Yeah. Because in Deak, the leader of the king of the, the Fomora, mm. is standing right behind, mm. and the slingshot goes straight through Balor's eye yes. and kills in Deak. Yes. Yeah, in the following paragraph, yeah. it says that in Deak falls in single combat with Agma. With Agma, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, it, it is a funny one because. Um, yeah, Balor's eye is knocked out, and then sort of the last thing after it's killed twenty-seven men, the last bit of it uh, hits in the in the chest, mm-hmm. and it says that this lum fulla, this spurt of blood, comes out of his and that's mouth. Always, that's always the indicator of death, death. Yeah. in Irish story. If you have a lum fulla or a gout of and or he a gush even does of blood, a death speech. He yes. calls for his poet. He does, and he calls for his poet to say, "Who is this? Who has killed me?" Yeah. In very Shakespearean fashion, and then doesn't die and gets killed by someone else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's there, there's again a bit of a feeling of things maybe having been Being slightly squashed together. Yeah, different together. versions mm. squashed together. Mm. And uh, so in Deck dies, mm. and the Fomora are driven back to the sea. Yes. Now, of course, in the folk versions, Balor doesn't die there. Yeah, he, he has to be. His eye is knocked out. Yes. But he still has to be chased all over the country by Lou. Who chops off his head. In the end, yes. And, and puts it, on stone. Yes, there's, there's that great thing where Balor says, OK, if you're going to kill me now, just do this one thing for me. After I die, you must cut off my head and place it on top of your own. And that will give you prophetic all skill. All my wisdom, yeah. A bit like Brown the Blessed. Yeah, exactly. But Lou, <laughs> being clever and tricksy, puts it on a stone and it splits. Yes. Well, of course, as I said, the, after this, the battle breaks, the Fomora driven mm. back to the sea. As well as the eye uh, killing huge amounts of the Fomorian host and even Indek, possibly. Uh, it also, of course, makes a big hole in the ground. Splosh. Near a little boy's house up in <laughs> Castle Baldwin, <laughs> as he told us proudly in the school there. And that makes Loch Nassul. Yeah, Balor's eye landed in the ground by my house. house and made a big lake. Exactly, yes. Yeah. We were told that uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, which I, I'm delighted in. Yeah. But yeah, so it makes a lake. Again, it doesn't make much sense for a fiery eye to make a lake or a poisonous one comes to that but it does it, it does but there are other eyes like Loch Derg yeah. is, is actually Loch Derg Derg which is you know red eye and talks about is, someone's eye bleeding this and, yeah this is Loch Nassau so mm-hmm. the eye the, the so, lake is the eye and the Fomora at last are driven back to the sea of course there's an awful lot more to sort out yes and a huge amount of very difficult poetry. <laughs> well, that's why we're mostly going to be looking at the battle aftermath under the auspices of the Morrigan. Absolutely. And the poet who is the poet par excellence. Yes. See Mythical Women, episode, episode six. six. But you wanted to say something more about Index Poet. Yes. Um, Loch. Loch class. I love that. Yes. Like an elf. <laughs> Loch. Half green. Yes. Well, glass, again, if you read the Many Shades Darkness article, glass is kind of a pale colour, so anything, half of him is pale, basically. Mm-hmm. And it says... That makes more sense than the text, which the translation says. Uh, he was called that because he was half green from his feet to his head. Yes, yeah. Well, again, that, that can be a bit of a... makes an, more sense. Yeah, half of him is pale. But again, it's it's sort of that sense of something being half one thing and half mm. another, I think, is, is, is what is very important. So when Indek has been mortally wounded, let's say, he calls for his poet, Loch Lethglas, and this is where we get the little gloss that says he was half pale from the, the ground up to the top of his head. Um... And he says, you know, who is this person who's killed me, essentially? Mm. And then there is this wonderful dialogue between Loch, uh, who's in the ex-poet, and Lug on the other side. Mm. And I don't think it's an accident that their names are so similar. And in fact, they're so similar that within this dialogue, 
You occasionally get a, a, a section introduced by is on a spurt log, you know, then log said. And sometimes the spelling is so all over the place, you, you can't really tell whether it's log or loch. Mm. Uh, because it, it's so close together, you you have to follow who's speaking very uh, carefully. Yeah, it really is. As though they're they're two sides of the one, aren't they? They really are. And what's more, that as well as this, which is where we get a description of what's been done in poetry, we get mm. the description of who is this, who has laid Ballarlow, who is this, who is king, this? killed yeah. our king. And it's loves... like the poem, the praise poem of the of the, of the deed, yeah, of the deed, exactly. But and we. This is why we're going to deal with this one. Yeah, in, in, in terms of the Morrigan, it's it's Loch also who does all this stuff after the battle of naming and numbering everything. Yeah, yeah. So there's a very important connection there yeah. between that those two. Just reminded me, I'd forgotten about another character I was always interested in. Of course, the uh, Nuidus Druid, or poet, mm. uh, was wounded and wandered away, and where he died, mm. uh, a lake sprung up and became Loch Key. Yes, which is very close to us. Um, which is, uh, well, mm. it's very close to Battle Point Tour, really. Yes. But, um, you know, I'd just forgotten that one mm. until that moment. Mm. But yeah, they had a nasty habit of turning into lakes, really. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we've reached the end of Lou's story in the Battle of Moitura. Not the end, I mean, there's so much to say about Lou. Oh, yeah. But in terms of the Battle of Moitura, that's his story. Mm. Uh, uh, but I don't feel that we've really got to know who he is and why he's there. No. So let's have a look at that. I mm. mean, he turns up all over the continent and all over the Celtic world, really. Yeah. Um, he's very much a, a Celtic character from yeah. the continent. Mm. And he appears in all sorts of name places and uh, in inscriptions. Oh, places like Lyon in yes, France. which or, is Logdunham, the, the fort of Lyon. Yeah, or Carlisle mm. in England. There's loads mm. more. Um, he's very rarely met directly as a character, though. But he appears in a lot of inscriptions. Yes, yeah. And so it certainly seems that the character Logos seems to have been very important, but more particularly on the continent at the time of the Celtic Empire, which he there was, was all over Europe. The Romans regarded him as the most important of the Celtic gods. Yes. And they called him the Celtic Mercury. Mercury yeah. Um, mind you, there are some suggestions that the, the name or the, the term Lug or Lugus or Lugal mm. might go right back to the Hittites and might be early Indo-European. Might be an early Indo-European figure, but I don't mm. have any. Again, I'd like to say one way or another. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of beyond than, our field. Yeah. yeah, it is beyond our field. Yeah. And he, he, but he's certainly very old and mm. very well loved and well known. Absolutely, but I'd say particularly on the continent. And again, I think it's worth making a bit of a distinction between the continental. Celts the, and the insular the, Celts, yeah. who are usually at the, really the Brythonic. Um, but then, uh, as well as that, you have the There's Irish. A big difference. Remember the, the English and the Irish. We Celt. are not Celtic. This is what's so hard to get. Exactly. <laughs> so it's an, an awful lot that has been written about. You know, the, the continental logos. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. But okay, then let's look at him in terms of being. A shiny foreigner. Yes, is how we put it. Yeah, yeah. But what evidence is there for him being a shiny foreigner in the, the Battle of Moitura? Well, first of all, there's this. We referred constantly to this repetition. Yes, the fact that you you get things like the Amrun, which is the the secret council, which I think is mm -hmm. one of the best sort of story evidence, if you like, um, that. When the the first secret council happens, you know, we're told that we have Nuida, we have Dagda. It's like the original version of it, isn't it? It is, and that they're they're planning something that is more about 
creating the land itself and that they have the powers of the land on their side. But then they have to do it again. And, you know, it's almost like... With this new, wonderful, shiny foreigner, yeah. this celebrity who yeah. everyone loves and we can't possibly have a story without it. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It does feel like that. Mm. Um, that, you know, as if he came in at... Uh, I mean, we're talking about if he, if he comes over from Britain, or mm. from the continent, into Britain and Britain to over to Ireland. Mm. It's very much, it's quite early. We're talking about as the Romans who helped to popularise yes. this Roman Mercury. Yeah. Um, and gradually the stories of him are carried and he becomes more and more the the latest celebrity. Absolutely, And yeah. he is much loved. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. But it, what I find amusing is the number of times in the Battle of Moitra in this text yeah. they try and exclude him. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, they they're... burn their boats in case Lou should turn up. Yes, yeah. And then they, they go the off and have a secret council without him. There's even, you know, it's even not a given that he's going to even get into Tara in the first place. Uh, and they try and get him drunk so to keep out of the battle yeah so this is it's an odd i don't know it's just an odd theme yes. to turn up when he, they really want and then they keep having to make excuses oh but we want him because of his beauty yes we yeah, have, to yeah. have him because he's so shiny yeah he's so wonderful yeah and he keeps and as time goes on he keeps getting more and more good stuff exactly which we yes. can't possibly have a story without yes yeah and of course then you get the, the later ones where he's got even more bling you know, oh, he, that when, he gets more and more bling every yeah. time he comes out. You know, when when he first comes to Tara, he's got the spear and he's got a, a king's diadem. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, by the time you get to the early modern Irish version, oh, he's all like the children of the fourteenth, the children of Turin. Exactly. Then oh, he's getting boy. all Mananan's armor, and then he's getting all of the and bling the horse that yeah. rides over. Uh, that's Envar. That's Mananan's yeah. horse. Yeah, yeah. And he's got what is it, Ansara or oh, Fred, Fred, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, oh, there's loads more. Stuff. Yeah. So uh, as time goes on, as as our history goes on, and the story develops. He's kind of collecting more and more to then him. He's got just think of all the stuff he gets from the children of Turin. Exactly, yeah. Because he gets the cauldron there. Yeah, know, the, the cooking spit, the, the mystical pigskin, and the yeah, the it's Jason and the argument, yeah. basically. Yeah, they go off not for the um, not for a ram skin that will mm. cure everybody. They go for a pig, pig skin, skin that will cure yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. And of course, there's the apples of the Hesperides. Oh yes, he gets a lot. Yeah, and they all belong to Lou, mm. but he mm. never uses them. They never turn up no. in the story. But somehow he ought to have them. Yeah. He's Lou. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's nice. Um, but the other thing is that he, um, he one by one, he takes over the roles of yes. everybody in the story, yeah. which we talked about earlier. We did, again, with the coming to Tara, as well as saying that he will do all the different crafts, and then he gets into Tara, and he seems to systematically usurp first Nuada, then Ochna, and then the Dagda. But that this happens over time as well. Yeah. And we can see a bit of it when we look at the Celtic, uh, continental Celtic logos. Um, well, he does the same thing. He does. And with the inscriptions, you know, he, you see, they see him with ravens and with dogs and with pots of money. And, you know, all of these things which probably belong to different figures previously. Yeah. But Log somehow kind of manages to get hold of them all himself. Well, oh, really, really a bit like Armin in the... Um... Egyptian Christian, yes, yeah. who actually is a very late figure yeah, compared to yeah. the others, and gradually one by one takes over the yeah. roles of all the other gods. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Know, so it's Armin Ray, yeah. you know, etc., Fletcher. But originally, this Armin figure is actually not an original mm. one, mm. Uh, not an early god. And yeah. yes, he becomes the most popular. Yeah, and so all the other attributes get given to yeah. him. Um, it's it's almost as if the story of uh, uh, the ninth century story of the Battle of Moitura is telling us this. 
it in does his feel coming. like it, doesn't it? It's, it's almost like the, the story is also saying, you know, well, we have to have this guy now because everyone wants him and he's kind of taking over everybody else's. Yeah. You know, even though we still have the Dagda, who's the best of the best and can do it all himself. Yeah, yeah. But we have to have Luke. Yeah, it's, so the conclusions are really, is he just doesn't seem to fit easily in the story at this point. No, There's he's, suggestions he's, that he's been... Now, there may be others, like Noida, mm. um, who is probably a British... Yeah, but, but again, you know, no more than we have to remember that, you know, we're not Celts here. But also, the British Celts are not the same as the Continental Celts. No, no you know, and there is a cultural very difference. British in many ways. Yeah. Um, that they may have got him from here. You know, it's, mm. it's difficult to tell. That's not what we're talking about yeah. this time. We were talking about that anyway when we were mm. dealing with Noida. Yeah. So, okay, let's ask the question again. Who's Lou and what? Who, 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 Lou? <laughs> <laughs> no, here's this. I think who's like sounds worse, actually. Mm. Who's Lou and why does he become the obvious saviour of the Dogmo? So, is he a solar hero? Well, to the continental Celts, very probably. Um, and the, there seems to have been probably a connection, particularly as Latin spread, yeah. that there was an assumption that the Latin looks had the same meaning as logos. Um, and, and therefore so, he acquired this light. Yes, because that, that quality of, the Roman and people who in contact with Romans automatically saw it was light. Yes, yes you see that's all because they saw him as Mercury, mm, mm. who is not Apollo. No, exactly. You but know. but there's still that quality of light and shining, yeah. and you know we do have some of it in our story. Oh, where, absolutely! You know, the sun rising in the west. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the 14th century, and it seemed yeah. today that the sun rose in the west. So bright was he. Yes, but um, he, he, even in the 9th century, when he has a shining speed. Mm-hmm. You know. And although his name almost certainly was not connected with solar shining, no. he keeps in getting more and more solar attributes. Yeah, so you can't yeah. avoid that. Yeah, he gets he also accrues a lot of shiny treasures we oh, talked yes. about. Yeah. You know, armour and horse of Malanan, yeah. treasures of Santa Turin, we talked about that. Mm. He also shares, if you look at the sort of the young hero, the solar yes. hero, yeah. who is the most popular, you mm. know, that sense of the the journey of the hero, mm. he shares the miraculous secret birth yeah. of this young traditional. Now, yeah. we don't have the birth story in any of the texts of Moitura. No. Now, it, interestingly enough, there is a magical birth. It's given to Bresh. Exactly, and not to look. We have to look outside the literature and into the folktale yeah, tradition. Well, the Welsh story, which mm. I advise anybody who wants to see it in detail to go to the wonderful site on Mabinog. Yes. But the the birth story of Lou, how he is um, born, uh, that, that uh, Math's foot holder. Yes. His Aryan rod. <laughs> yes. Uh, he has but, to sit but, with his feet in the lap oh, well, of a maiden. Well, actually it wasn't. Yeah, his yeah. first maiden gets the sack. <laughs> yeah. Or gets married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she gets sacked because yes. she gets married. Yeah. And so they test to see whether Aaron Rod will be a suitable foothold. Mm. But Math we've already come across. Yes. He is the druid who turns up. Yeah, Mathkin in, in well, our the, story the is, is, yeah, is the equivalent name. But um, when they test her, she steps over the wand mm. and she uh, births Drops a baby, baby. Yeah. who is Dylan and is immediately falls it goes into the sea and becomes uh, a dolphin, dolphin. Mm. but she drops some little thing yeah which is hidden away in a chest and, yeah. uh, by Gwydion and a while later turns out to be a beautiful baby who's Lou <laughs> so he's not exactly um, you know he's born from the afterbirth yeah some people yeah. think but some and then gestated thing. in a box and gestated in a box yes. which is a bit of like he's a bit of a runt really. yeah yeah um 
But Gwydion is kind of determined to make him into a hero, despite Arianrod's Yeah, but often best this hero has a terrible birth. Yeah, yeah. You know, the solar hero is yeah. often Someone like, tries to kill him, like Herod. Yeah. Yes, or, um, yeah, or um, uh, well, anything from Isis and Horus yes. to, you know, although it's to father that's put in a box there. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're dealing with this constant triplicity. Yeah. Now, like, um, there are supposed to be three babies who were mm. dropped mm. Um, in... In one version uh, in of the story. In, in the Luthberg. Yeah. Although in another version, mm. there's a hundred. <laughs> yes, that when, when Kian gets to uh, the, the tower where Ethlu is, is being hidden. He says, you can have me if you have all my... Uh, all the handmaids. And there's a hundred of them and he manages to you impregnate You get through them, then you'll get to me. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets all of them pregnant. Yes, but and they give birth to seals. You know, all the babies yes. go into the sea and become seals. Yeah. Uh, it's... It's kind of odd. Mm. And then, of course, this little thing that has a more that is birthed, as it were, more than once yeah. is echoed, of course, in Cahullan, and fa- who is supposed to be fathered by Lou. Exactly, yeah. And Cahullan has to be born three times before yeah. he gets it right. Now, another thing is they both have hidden fostering. He has yeah. hidden fostering, as should any good solar hero. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you know... Um, stories uh, given to Mananan to foster... Mm. Uh, the Welsh Gwydion is given, you know, Lewis, yeah. the Welsh Lou is given to Gwydion, who is not Mananan. Yeah. Or Teltu. Yes, Teltu, who, again, is, is associated both with Teltown over in Meath. We also have a local Telton mm-hmm. in Roscommon. Who's his foster mother. Uh, yeah, and she's said to be a queen of the Firbolg and uh, the daughter of Magmore, the Great Plain. So he's certainly following the rules that yeah. govern the childhood of a, a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, his childhood feats. Now, again, they're mostly how he gets his name, yes. how he gets his arms, mm. how he gets, uh, you know, mm. his wife. In the Welsh, in the yeah, Welsh yeah. stories, um, but there is an echo of this in a folklore mm. a story of how Balor names his grandson yes, when the nice. child is trying to reach for apple trees, and he can ap- reach him up among the apple trees, yeah. and he reaches up for apples. Yes, and Balor says, "Wow, he's got a long arm." Yeah, he comes <laughs> a long arm. Yeah, and again, there, there, there's, there's punning. Puns, there? There's loads of puns. I mean, we love our puns in these stories, um, which, of course, again, in, in the Welsh version, it's also through all. Oh, that lion has a sure hand that yeah. Lou gets his name but in the Irish it would be Balor would say that Lou was small which is Lou yeah. and then uh, he's disguised as a gardener which would be Lofurter yeah. so again it's got the Lug the Lou in there yeah. and then the Lovada is the long reach or the long arm as well so it's a real pun absolutely yeah. yeah all over the place and then again um the the welsh story of lou and how mm. he gets his uh, name mm. also they, they're disguised as shoemakers yeah and he's called one of the three golden shoemakers yeah well interesting enough lou the, the continental lou was the patron yeah of shoemakers yeah i think it was in spain mostly somewhere like that yeah uh, we, um, we don't really do shoes over here well of course you've got the so-called fairy sh- shoemakers so i shouldn't go looking for Leprechauns here either, I believe. Uh, well, no, not unless you want to go stick herbs in your ears and go swimming underwater you where there's sea monsters. <laughs> a wonderful story <laughs> called Extra Fargasomaclade, which is which actually has leprechaun leprechauns in it, but there's nothing to do with gold. Um, and yes, they basically are little sea spirits. Yeah, who stuff herbs in their ears. Yeah, well, that's um, Fergus uh, manages to catch some of them. Oh, so that was where, uh, when what's the name, J.K. Rowling got it. Oh, that's yes. Yeah, yeah, word. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, they, they were trying to carry Fergus off, and he caught them and said, I want the secret off you of how you swim underwater. And they said, here, stick these in your ears. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, no leprechauns with pots of gold. No. Just sea spirits with herbs in their ears. Yeah. Disappointing, isn't it? And then, of course, there's the other problem. Why does he have a sling instead of a spear? Yeah. And oddly enough, this gives me the feeling, oh, I have no proof whatsoever, mm. but it's remarkably like David and Goliath, Oh, it really it? is. It really is. I mean, and, of course... There, there really is no such thing in the Irish canon as a pre-Christian text. Not even in the 8th and 9th century. No, absolutely not. Christianity was, was definitely the the, uh, the general religion of 9th century Ireland. Yes. And so, and of course, as well as being versed in classical literature, as we said earlier, with uh, to the synchronism with the Siege of mm. Troy, um, they would have been very... Conversant and if you think with about Bible it, stories. they would have seen David as mm. not only an archetypal young hero, mm. but also an ancestor figure. Exactly, but an, and ancestral to the glorious child. Yes, that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah, so that it would fit very nicely. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that all of those kind of things have... They, they mean that Luke kind of forgets his spear and it turns into a sling, but it also turns Balor into a giant... Which yeah, he isn't really yeah. in the literary versions, but he certainly becomes a giant in the folklore. He certainly does. Mm. So, look, can we get any more information from our small fine tray, e.g. the names? Yes. Look, now, look, look we've talked about light. Yes. Ludibi, and we now know that that's not really credible. It's, it's, gone, it's not now a popular, popular idea. No. And with good reason. Yeah, again, the, the, it's, it's to do with the development of Indo-European languages. I think it was when the Romans came across this um, Logos figure. Yeah. It may and have had an influence. They, they assumed it was Lux for light, yeah, but yeah. actually that would have a different Indo-European route. Now, there is a connection with oath swearing. Yeah, again, particularly in terms of the continent, um, there is, uh, a, it's sometimes connected with the verb that in, in Old Irish would be Lika, which is to an, an oath swearing. Mm -hmm. I would have a bit of a, a difficulty with that because in Lika, uh, it's, it's an IO stem, mm -hmm. which means that mm -hmm. the, its uh, Indo-European ending was EOS, mm -hmm. whereas Lug, the name, is a U stem. Um, also, the, the G sound in Lug is very, it's very neutral. Uh, or broad, as yeah, what yeah, our yeah. speakers would know. Whereas Lika is very palatal; it's very slender. So it's unlikely to develop that way. Yeah, I, I, I'd see it as unlikely at uh, mm. them having a shared root. It might be closer to do with sound developments in other uh, Celtic or other European mm. languages, but I can't see it just from in an Irish, Irish point of view. I now, what really I would that. like it to be mm. is the meaning "small," mm. because here we have this wonderful small, a child who does great deeds, a small child who does great reads. Mm. Deeds, sorry, yes. and this connection with the wren, yeah, the smallest of the birds who is the king, yeah, and connected with you know the death of the wren. Mm. It's certainly there. I could get a lot of, yeah, lot of mileage out of it if it meant small. Yeah, it would make him, for instance, the favoured and lucky youngest son. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about that one? Well, again, it, it may well be there in, in the continent and even in the insular in in the British yeah. um, story. But again, in terms of sounds, like we talked about that folk version of Balor giving Lou his name yeah. and the punning about Lou being yeah, little yeah. and then Lou as Lou. Um, but in Old Irish, they sound significantly different. You'd have Lug and then you'd, or Lug rather with a, a, an aspirated G and Lou for little is definitely, it's L-U mm. father in Old Irish. So I can't really see them. I wouldn't know, could have had more, more mm. influence on the Welsh stories. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, somebody who speaks Old Welsh would have exactly. Exactly. that I really don't know. Mm, mm. Uh, I just it just has a nice yeah. Well, fitting it, again, there, there, there is more of that within the Welsh, where when Arian Roth uh, 
gives birth to the the afterbirth or whatever it is it's called a little thing yeah, you yeah. know and where when when sue is getting his name in fact he does it by shooting a wren between uh what is it it's between the, the sinew, sinew and, and the bone, bone yeah. of its leg which is you almost know. impossibly small thing exactly exactly it's and then on the smallest of the smallest exactly yeah. so and and that causes oh, well. arian ruff to say you know oh he's got a very short hand okay so if it's not to do with light and it's not mm. to do with those swearing and it's not to do with small uh, what do you think well from the point of view of old irish um it seems that the word lug with a U stem as it is is actually a lynx. Like the cat. Wildcat. A wildcat. Yeah. So Lou is a lynx. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, we'd happily star in any of their ads. <laughs> you know, what can you get to see the ad? Even the Donnan would fall. <laughs> or will fall. Yes, and they did and the Irish did fall for him. <laughs> Even Thanks the Donnan can fall. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that. I think you know what to suggest that they make the ad. <laughs> <laughs> With all these, like, there's this golden child oh, yeah. women at his feet. Yeah. I think they'd love it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, <laughs> so okay, so yeah. if the cat, the big cat, the lynx, the wild cat. Wild cat, yeah. Now, there were wild cats in Ireland, weren't there? Yeah, now, I've gone around for a number of years now wondering, you know, when did cats arrive in Ireland in terms of a natural history thing, you know, when mm-hmm. did cats arrive? Um, we do have cats appearing in Irish stories. Oh, all the time, yeah. yeah. And But interestingly enough, um, they appear in the place where other mythologies would have dragons. Yeah, they're tricksters and they guard treasure. They guard the treasure, yeah. yeah. You know, it's in the Voyage of Mildon, there's one island that they come to where it's full of treasure, but it has this cat leaping between four pillars and anyone who tries to steal some of the treasure gets clawed by this cat. Oh, it is, turns up, I mean, the, the cave of Rathcroen. Yes. You know, the cat yes. the cave of the cat. Yeah. And all sorts of weird cats come out of that. Oh, yeah. And again, just nearby where Nuida is buried, mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a treasure, but you can't get there because it's guarded by a cat. Yeah. And it, it's, it seems, yeah, they're very much mm. um, the hoarders, the yeah. collectors, the stealer of treasure. Mm, mm. Um, and so, certainly in, in, in kind of more, if you like, general mythological, anthropological terms, a, a cat, a wild cat particularly, will tend to be tricksy and kind of sly and, you know, not exactly forthright or honest, you know. And We might be stretching it, I don't know, but they're certainly guarders and stealers yes. of treasure. Yeah. And hoarders of treasure. Yeah, in Ireland, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So has um, how can we find cat-like qualities in Lou? <laughs> well, that, 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 that story from the Metricot and Chalicots of the tricking of Bresh. Oh, yeah. He's very much a trickster there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And even if we go back to the doorkeeper, mm. his rule bender. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there's a parallel to the doorkeeping story. Now, it is slightly different. This might be stretching it. Um, in the, the beginning of the Children of Turin, the Sons of Turin, uh, when the physicians first come to Tara and the doorkeeper has this problem because he's are blind in good? one eye. Yeah, and he says, are you any good? Can I let you in? Yeah. And they say, oh, well, we can cure your eye for one thing. And they take the eye out of the cat that he has on his lap and puts it into his head. Yeah. And he goes, oh, this is fantastic. But, of course, the eye doesn't exactly do what he wants it to because whenever he wants to sleep at night, the eye is wide awake and She's is looking all around. Uh, and then when he needs to be watchful during the day, the eye is having a snooze. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's not loose. It's not no, but, loose. but it has that kind of that quality of, of the cat. If yeah. you have that cat attribute, you know, it doesn't perhaps, exactly go where you want yeah, it to. Yeah, more is that sort of... Um, that slight cruelty there is mm. in the... 
and the way he uses the sons of Turin to collect a hoard for him. Yeah. That feels very dragon-like. Yes, yeah, but it, it also has that kind of toying with your prey, you know, yeah, because yeah. He, he's... No, he has good reason. I he has reason, that. but again, he's supposed to extract a fine from them, but instead he, he makes it so high that, that it, will be, it will be death. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so... The, I like that, it links. It's um, mm-hmm. an interesting idea. Yeah, and if, if you then think of him as a lynx or as a cat, and then you think of Loch Lovvada, and you think of this sort of long, long arm, arm of a cat stretching. stretching out and then just grabbing something with its claws. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, look, um, let's see, look at his, um, you know, the, the, his opposite, as it were, to Balor mm. for a moment. Mm. Can we get anything from his name? Well, that will I, give us a bit more about who this giant actually is. Mm, well, again, you know, the, there's been some discussion of this in terms of, if you like, the broader Celtic and continental Celtic uh, ideas. And people have talked about Baal, who is, you know, from very far away. Um, in terms of Irish analysis, mm, it's it's not it's not very satisfying um, because Baal is kind of a word that means a situation or circumstances. In, in Irish, yeah. yeah, in Irish, you know, it it just means sort of the way things are, and it can it can also mean kind of good luck. It doesn't fit him, does it? No, it really so doesn't. So that suggests that he may also be a borrowing. I th- I think that the name is itself is borrowed, mm-hmm. and um, there has been a comparison made that the the matching between Log and Balor. It's kind of like the Norse story of Loki and Baldur. Except it's the other way around. Exactly. Their their roles are reversed. Yeah. But Loki's it, no giant. No, he's no. Uh, Loki he's, is Loki is like a trickster mm, as well. Yeah. Mind you, you know, tell you what it I think, and mm. it's just again a speculation. Mm-hmm. It, there's that lovely piece that I keep mentioning about <laughs> when um, Balor turns around and says, mm. Go take your boats, get some ropes, tie your ropes <laughs> to the island of Ireland, yeah. and drag Ireland north, north. Up into the land of the ice and snow, yeah. to the back of beyond. <laughs> he actually says to the northern side of Lachlan, yeah. which really literally means the back of beyond. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so let's take it somewhere where it's really cold and exactly. see how they cope with that. Yeah. And there's this giant mm. with um, this this sort of fiery eye, which is also a, a sort of frozen, venom. venomous yeah. eye. Yeah. You know, he doesn't enough feel like a, a Nordic frost giant. But, you know, I, I don't think that's too far-fetched, if you like, because... Uh, no, no, no more Iceland, than Iceland in the land of you know. Yeah, about um, this time the, the the Vikings were going up to Iceland, which was the the terrible land for them, where they managed just to settle, to cling on. Yeah, and of course, where you have uh, volcanoes, and yeah. you have the frozen ice mm. and the volcanoes, mm. and it's enough to make anyone think of ice giants. It's, oh yeah, you know, fantastic stories. Yeah. And, and of course, our text was written in the ninth century, and what was happening in Ireland in the ninth century? But we were experiencing a wave. Well, not a big wave but immigration from the Nordic countries mm-hmm. and given how much the Irish learned classes and probably m- most of the public knew about biblical and classical stories you can bet they would have heard some of the Nordic stories this time mm-hmm. and if they did hear about these two characters called Loki and Baldur mm-hmm. having I've a fight maybe they liked the sort yeah. of the sound of Baldur sounded nice and Norse <sighs> 
you know? I, d- I don't know. I just wonder whether you've got some sort of... Yeah, I I, I don't... As a storyteller, I'm mm. not sure I like that reversal. It reversal reverses main things. Yeah, we see, I, I, I main don't... Main characters. I don't think it refers to the characters. I no. think it's just the sound of the, the name. names. You know, yeah, it's... I still it's... think you'd make a Duncan Frost giant, a Nordic Frost giant. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the sort of character who would drag an island. Yeah. yeah. I love that story, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Let's look at conclusions of mm. what we've got from mm. Lou and Balor. Yeah. I mean, if I can just sum it up. Mm. By the 14th century, mm. we've got a very traditional story of mm. a young hero fighting a tyrannical giant. Yes. There's no doubt about yeah. that. It's not original, but that's how it ends mm. up. And certainly in Mayo, people talk about thunderstorms as being battles between Lou and, and Balor. Yeah, yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Now, you've got the stories preserved in Donegal. Mm. You know, we mentioned the Balor's head story. Yes, and all the birth of Lou also is yeah. preserved up there. And those have been told to this day. Mm. You know, mm. they, they were collected in the 19th century, 18th yeah. and 19th, but they're still around. Mm. Um, Lou almost certainly, certainly gives us a much-loved folk hero. Absolutely. If we look at him, he's the young boy, mm. sometimes the youngest son, mm. or the or the widow's son, mm. who fights giants and steals their wealth. Yes. Heard the story? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah, and yeah. That's typically English story, mm. and above all, Cornish story, as our... All the Jack the Giant killer stories. Yeah, and they're yeah. usually the widow's son who kills the giant. Mm. Sometimes, occasionally, the brother. There are, you know, he can yeah, be yeah. the, the favoured youngest son. But yeah. more often, the widow's son. Mm. He's the traditional Jack the Lad. Yeah. And, a, and in our story, a jack of all trades. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, you know, I mean, we, 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 we're we going to talk about Lunasa festivals, but mm. there's there's one in, uh, in was celebrated in Cornwall at a place called Morva, which until the 19th century played out the story of Jack the Giant Killer. Yeah, yeah. Every Lunasa. Yes. Which, uh, um, yeah. till the church decided it was kind of <laughs> a bit... Too much drinking, too much fighting. Yeah, well, <laughs> they decided the same of Lunasa festivals here. Uh, didn't they also decide the same about the pilgrimage to Canterbury? Well, yeah, <laughs> football through the streets in Kingston upon Thames, right? Yeah. But, you know, the local shopkeepers didn't like it. Yeah. Once they had plate glass, they went, ah, stop yeah. this at once. <laughs> and did. Yeah. Um, but I mean, then of course, we, we I suppose we ought to talk about Lunasa festivals. A little, yeah. yeah. Since it does bear Lou's name. Yeah. Festivals, faction fights, football, and first fruits. <laughs> for, anyone, day. for anyone who doesn't know, the Lunasa is. is Generally, beginning of August, uh, yeah. and in modern Irish, the month of August is still called me Lunasa. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the month of Lunasa. Um, an old Irish that'd be pronounced Lugnasad. Mm. Uh, again, the the story background, if you like, is that Lug instituted the festival in honour of his foster mother Taltu, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, there were games and it's sports. Like great games. Yeah, that she that she really appreciated games and sports. And so they held regular gatherings of games and sports at her place at Telltown, Talton. Mm. Um, and again, some say that these predate the Olympic Games mm-hmm. and possibly inspired the mm-hmm. Olympic Games. We think so. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there were certainly all over the country, there would have been big fairs held at Lugnes. In fact, there still... still are in one place. Right oh, here. yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I was first of all going to talk about the Puck Fair, which yeah, also yeah, happens yeah, around yeah, that yeah. time in Kilorgland. No, I'm joking. But here, yes, we do. So we, we have our own Lunasa games. We'll, 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 it's, it's, we'll put a bit about that on the website. Yeah, yeah we don't exactly take it. No, we don't. Yeah. Um, Although, interestingly, nowadays, what people want to do is cheat. 
That's where the aim of the game is to cheat. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, the, the, the uh, Lunison festivals are mm. still quite famous all over the country. Oh, yeah. People used to climb to the tops of hills exactly, and do all yeah, sorts yeah. of things. And it was also a time for making contracts. Yeah. You know, it was also a break disputes. between haymaking. In mm. practical terms, a break between haymaking and harvesting, yeah. which would need the hiring of extra hands and obviously lashings of alliteration, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yes. And um, at folktale level... Mm. You know, one thing I do think with all these, you know, the youngest son yeah. who goes around killing giants. Yeah, you meet that, but all over the, all over the continent. Yeah, I mean, all over Europe mm. and in, you know, and beyond, and beyond. Yeah, particularly prevalent in Russia, mm. and again in England. Mm. Um, you meet it here, of course, but oddly enough, it's really strange. A lot of the stories that would have gone to the young hero mm. actually go to Fionn here. Yeah, and he's not. He's quite different. He is not Lou. No, he, he's quite but different to Lou. Shinsuke Lala completely. That's going to be a whole other <laughs> series, folks. <laughs> oh, look, yeah. this has been a long one. It has. Uh, but let's... I just wanted to sum up how I see it. Mm. Okay, so we what we feel is that Lou... Is, say if I'm right, Lou yeah. is a shiny foreigner. Yeah. A celebrity guest who comes to stay. <laughs> yeah. He's hugely popular. Absolutely. And very he's well a, loved. He's a blow-in who influences a massive number of medieval stories. Yeah. And Cahulin is not the only one who claims Lou as a father or ancestor. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, you know, his is a very popular name in the Middle Ages. Yeah, in the genealogies, there's so many Luggards, you know, the, you've got to shovel your way through them. I think even Concave Catholic, who's the, the ancestor of the Connachta, the Connacht people, I think even yeah. he claims Lou in his ancestry. And Lou, if you like, he's the, also the cat, the trickster mm. thief. Mm. So in the Irish stories, oh, well, let me think of it this way: he's in many ways he's the typical D and D rogue <laughs> rather than the warrior. Yeah, and yeah. the lucky Jack of the stories. Oh, definitely. It's, yeah. it's all about that lucky, tricksy, you know, get, getting away with it. Get it by does. stealth. Get it by wits. Yes. Um, not necessarily by strength or honour. <laughs> We, oh, that sounds as though we're being mean to him. He's, <laughs> he's probably the most popular Abs- Of figure course he is, yeah, yeah. And the most much-loved figure mm. from for thousands of years. Yeah. But he's turned up in some interesting guises. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's Lou, the shiny mm. foreigner. Yeah. Mind you, um, what were you saying, Bibo? Next time we're going to be looking at we're the We're going to be looking at the Dagda. We've been looking forward to this we for have, ages. Actually. We yeah. like the Dagda. And the, there's a way in which I certainly feel that I would prefer to have the Dagda who when faced with something as terrible as murder, he would think it better that you carry the corpse of your victim on your back than set out for vengeance. You set them out for this deadly vengeance. And be by... killed by Jack the giant killer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mind you, as I say, he's a, a much loved popular hero, but next time, it's, all it's the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Ogilaf Nanagas. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>